That felt better. Good job. That was good. Yeehaw and woohoo. So you're an educated hick. All right. I just learned something new. Um, I was in Albuquerque last uh, weekend. Uh, we dedicated out there uh, a church uh, edition, a building that I've been working on for years. So I was out there to dedicate that. And then we had a crusade with Raul Reese. We had it Friday and Saturday and Sunday night, and it was a great venture. We saw 1,400 people give their lives to Christ on those three nights. So we had a great time. Would you turn in your Bibles, I presume you brought one, to uh, Matthew chapter 7. You all know who Indiana Jones is, right? And the last film in that trilogy was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? Well, the whole theme of the movie was built around this fictitious Holy Grail. And um, in the film, they go into this temple where the Holy Grail is kept. And you remember that ancient guardian of the Grail is there to protect it. And Indiana Jones goes in and a Nazi goes in and they both want to grab this cup. And that old uh, guard um, says to both of them, he says, You must choose, but you must choose wisely. For as the real grail has power to give life, so the false grail has power to take it from you. So the Nazi goes first, picks the big chalice, it's the wrong one, he downs it, and in Hollywood fashion, he disintegrates and explodes. And as his skull is lying off to the side, the old knight says, He chose poorly. And then Indiana goes up and he finds this old clay vessel and he says to himself, this looks like the cup of a carpenter. And he drinks it and the guard says, you chose wisely. Well, that's a movie and life is more than a movie, but we all make choices and those choices have ramifications. They have consequences, especially when it comes to eternal choices. There's an old adage that says, you make your choices but then your choices turn around and make you. Well, we live in a culture with lots of options, lots of choices. And sometimes it's confusing. We go into a restaurant and you don't get a bowl of soup. You have a menu to choose from. You go into a clothing store. It's not one style. It's a variety of styles. You even go into a Bible store, and there's brown ones, black ones, burgundy ones, paisley ones, green ones, small ones, large ones, and all sorts of versions. And so we have all of these options, and it can be a problem. Look at what uh, cable and satellite uh, dishes have done to television. You don't have four networks anymore. You've got 800 things to channel surf between. And still, nothing's on. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> But these days, you need a holster to carry all the little remotes, you know, with, with all these gadgets. Now, I heard of a, a mom who went into an ice cream parlor with her three kids and wanted to order ice cream. And um, the guy behind the counter said, well, it's your choice. Do you want chocolate or vanilla? 
And she said, what do you mean chocolate or vanilla? How come you don't have more flavors? And the guy said, ma'am, if you knew how long it takes people to choose between chocolate and vanilla, you'd understand. Now, Jesus here in these verses, and we're only going to look at two, verse 13 and 14, speaks about choices that we make from the eternal perspective. We're only going to look at two verses, because two verses show two choices. The two choices have two gates, two pathways, two destinations, and two groups of people. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. It's common in the Bible to find so often where choices are narrowed down to only two. God does that on purpose so that we wouldn't be confused. It's either this or that you choose. So you often find God reducing things down to the irreducible minimum. For instance, when the children of Israel were out in the desert, the Lord God spoke to them and said, Today I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Or Elijah on Mount Carmel, who said, Choose this day whom you will serve. How long will you falter between two opinions? If Baal is God, worship Baal. If God is the Lord, worship him. Joshua took the children of Israel across the Jordan River, said basically the same thing. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you've got to make a choice if you're going to choose to serve the gods that were on the other side of the river that your father served, or you're going to serve the Lord. Now, you'll look at the Sermon on the Mount with me, and you'll notice that we're almost at the end of all the red. We're almost at the end of the sermon. It's been chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus has described the Christian life, kingdom living, and now he's bringing it now to a close. This is life against the flow, and he's telling people, are you ready to enter it? Are you willing to go through the narrow passageway that leads to life? What's ironic about these two verses is that if you read them, it seems that the best choice appears to be the worst choice. The best choice that leads to life is narrow, it's difficult, and there's very few who find it. But it happens to be the best choice. Now, from a a marketing standpoint, this would be product suicide. To say, hey, the very best thing you can do is going to be the very hardest thing that you have to choose. But it's the truth. So this morning, we want to basically look at two verses, two choices, two gates, two destinations, two groups of people, and see what they are. First of all, let's begin where we begin in verse 13 with the command, enter by the narrow gate. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, ponder the gate, admire the gate, contemplate the gate and compare the gate with other gates. But he says as a command, enter into the narrow gate. You see, Christianity is not just a college class 
called Comparative Religion. It's not a philosophy 101 class where there's many gates to choose from and there's the worldview of Jesus Christ. Then you have the worldview of uh, Immanuel Kant and Soren Kierkegaard and David Hume and uh, Bertrand Russell. So just choose whatever gate because Jesus didn't say admire me or contemplate me or compare me. He said follow me. And so as the Lord, he's saying, follow him. And here he puts it this way, enter into or enter in through the narrow gate. See, folks, there's a lot of people who have respected Jesus Christ, but they haven't received him. And the question you've got to ask yourself today is, have I entered the gate, the narrow gate? Have I gone through this gate that leads to eternal life? Have I entered God's kingdom? Now, you might answer that by saying, well, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. A newsflash. Nobody but nobody is born a Christian. You can't be. You have to be born again into the kingdom, Jesus said. You don't float through this gate. You don't stumble into the kingdom. You don't wake up one day and go, wow, I made it through the gate. That Christian upbringing really paid off. No, it's a conscious choice It's a deliberate decision that a person makes. It's not that you have to develop some spiritual side to your personality or uh, get into a self-help spiritual program or turn over a new leaf. It's not about reformation. It's about transformation, an absolute total change. In the days when communism flourished in the ex-Soviet Union and communist Leaders went from place to place and spoke to crowds about why communism was better for the country. One evening in Moscow, the city hall was packed, and this communist leader stood up, and he made promise after promise. And one thing he said is that communism will put a new coat on every man. One Christian in the crowd had the guts to stand up and say, but only Jesus Christ can put a new man in every coat. It's a change from the inside of the heart and the mind and the will being born again that constitutes entering the gate. Question, why is it so narrow? Have you ever been asked the question, why are you Christians so narrow-minded? Come on, widen it out. Relax a little bit. Loosen up. You know why it's narrow? Because if you remember back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells you how to enter the gate. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their spiritual condition. And then blessed are those who are persecuted, etc. You come to God absolutely spiritually poverty-stricken. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. You realize that you're broke before God. You can't merit anything. You can't do anything. You have no resources in yourself. That means all pride is gone. All self-assurance is gone. And you stand naked before God saying, I need help. And frankly, that's too narrow for some people. They in their pride will never admit that. And so it's a narrow gate. Well, it gets worse. Not only is there a narrow gate, but Jesus said, Because narrow is the gate, verse 14, and difficult is the way. The word difficult is the Greek word stenos. And if you have a medical background, you're familiar with a stenosis. 
a narrowing of a vessel that restricts flow. It's a very difficult passageway. Now back to Indiana Jones for just a moment. If you saw the film, you remember that there was a narrow canyon that leads up to that temple where they found the grail. You ought to know that that's a historical place. It's not in Hollywood. They filmed that over in Jordan at a place called Petra. In fact, if you go to Israel with us, we're going to take you to Petra and you'll see it. And that canyonway is called in Arabic the Souk. The Souk is a very narrow canyon and at certain parts is so narrow that you can't bring anything through but yourself and the beast that you're riding on, the horse. I was there several years ago before the first Gulf War. It was We were the only three there, myself, Franklin Graham, and Dennis Agajanian. And Dennis was in front of me, and picture Dennis Agajanian had the hat on, sitting on this horse, and the poor horse was a small little horse, and, and it was just bowed down. Dennis is kind of a big guy. And there were parts of that canyon where just it looked like the brim of his hat cleared just narrowly. And, and, and the point is, you can't rush through there. You've got to leave everything behind. When you enter into the kingdom by the narrow gate, it's a difficult way in that all of the baggage of the past is left. It's called repentance. All the habits, all the lifestyle things that you held on to, all those patterns, you leave behind and you walk and follow Christ. You know, you can take the Christian out of the world. It's been tried, monasteries, etc. It's another thing to take the world out of the Christian. And that's the baggage that sometimes we try to bring. Charles Spurgeon said, You and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. Now, don't misunderstand me. Salvation is a free gift. You receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. But it involves your surrender. In other words, you come to Jesus and you say, My life is yours. I'm giving you the pink slip. You've seen that little bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I don't like that. No offense if you have it on your car. But I don't like it. God isn't my co-pilot. He's the owner of the car. He's the driver. And don't be a backseat driver. He's in charge. I've given him my life. Jesus said, whoever will not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A large department store chain in America embarked on a commercial venture that was very disastrous. It was around Christmas time, and they decided to uh, manufacture a little doll. It was a baby Jesus doll, and it was advertised as washable, soft, and cuddly. It came with its own satin crib. It had appropriate scripture verses attached, and it was a bomb. Nobody bought it. They just felt awkward about buying it. So it didn't sell And there was this huge inventory in all the stores. One store owner decided in a last-ditch effort to get rid of the dolls, he would hang a sign outside of his department store, and he did. And the sign read, Jesus Christ, mark down 50%. Get him while you can. Did you know that's how a lot of people in this world want Christianity? Yeah, I'll take Jesus' light. You know, I don't want him full strength. I want him kind of on my terms. I want him marked down a little bit. Listen, he's not a product. He's the Lord. 
And he can make these demands. And he's simply telling people the truth. The gate is narrow and the way is difficult. And you might say, well, Skip, you haven't sold me yet. But look at where it ends. Look at verse 14. The destination is life. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. You know, a wise person, when he makes a choice or she makes a choice, will always ask, where does this choice, this road end? Where does it lead? Well, this is a little difficult. This isn't what I expected. This is hard. Yeah, but where's it going? I have friends who like to go up whitewater rafting. There's a place called the Rio Grande Box up in northern New Mexico. It goes from Colorado down, and it's a beautiful spot. Now, I've heard that the rapids just up from Niagara Falls are fabulous. There's only one problem, where it ends. It's a great ride, but it doesn't end in life. It typically ends in destruction. So if you're, if you're wise and you, you go for the ride, you ask, well, where is this going to end? Jesus said this ends in life. Paul the Apostle in Romans 8 said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not even worthy to be compared. Um, It says that it ends in life. Of course, we're speaking about everlasting life. And you want to know something, that in the Bible, when the word life is used... Though there are several different Greek words that use the same English word life, it's one meaning here. It's everlasting, eternal life, and it means more than living on and on and on. One word used in Greek is the word bios for life, biological life, biosphere. It's a physical well-being, standard of living, you might say. Then the second word is suke, which is psychological life. It's the soul life. It's your thought patterns. It's your emotional well-being. The third word is the word used here, zoane. And that speaks of age-abiding life. It's a quality that begins now, right here, but it goes on and on and on and on. Listen, every person lives forever. That's not the issue. The question is, where are you going to live forever? This life that Jesus speaks about is a quality of relationship with him that goes on and gets better as time goes on. Something else in that verse, notice who the crowd is. It says there's not many of them. Uh, Narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now just let that sink in a little bit. Because you hear a lot of people today that basically say, well, most people are going to heaven, right? It's a majority, right? There's a moral majority. No, there's a minority. According to Jesus, there's a remnant. There's just a few. One of the people, one of the guys, the apostles, listening to Jesus that day was a guy named John. And he followed Jesus all his life. He wrote something later on, 1 John chapter 5. Listen to what he said. He said, little children... We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Did you hear that? Could it be that the world is wrong, that the majority of people living on this earth are absolutely wrong? Could it be that that many people are wrong? Uh Uh-huh. 
We know that we're of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Question. Why? Why are there so few that enter this gate and find eternal life? Is it because there's no more space left up in heaven? All the lots are gone, sort of like Southern California beachfront property. It's over now. Is it because God is waiting for a certain quality of person that says, ah, you're the one I want? No, it's because the way is so narrow. It's so restrictive that most people will say later days, no way. And so he says, few will find it. Now, let's shift from there, the, the right choice to the poor choice. Back to Indiana Jones. That night said, For as the real grail has power to give life, the false grail has power to take it from you. And so, he says in verse 13, we're kind of going in reverse, enter the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who enter in by it. Now this gate is wide. It's easier. It's roomier. There's no restrictions. There's no regulations. You look at it and go, now that's, that's big. I like that. That's a lot better. That's what I'm talking about. Not as many regulations. Talk to the average person today about religion and you'll get something like this. Well, I'm glad that you like Jesus. That's really wonderful. And uh, just understand that there are many roads that lead to God. And all religions are basically the same. So you might call it Christianity and another person might call it that. But all roads eventually lead to God. And here's the basic argument. If you took... Ten people and blindfolded them, brought them out to a backyard where there was an elephant. And you asked them to examine a different part of the elephant. One was looking or feeling a trunk. The other had to feel an ear. The other had to feel the flat side of the belly. The other felt the tail, the furry part. And you asked them to describe it. Would all of the descriptions be the same? No, they wouldn't be the same. Though it's the same elephant, same animal, different descriptions. And so the philosopher will say, well, that's world religion. You have different people looking at different parts of God, giving you different descriptions, but it's the same God. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong is they began with an invalid premise. Their premise being that all gods of all religions are exactly the same. That's where they're wrong. And it betrays an ignorance of those religions. For instance... If you look at the Indian religions, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, it describes a God um, that is one with his creation. It's called monism. That is, the universe is a seamless garment. God is the tree and God is the animals and the animals are God and we're all God, etc. Christianity doesn't describe a God like that, but one that is separate and distinct from his creation, transcendent above it. If you look at Buddhism, you discover not a personal God, but impersonal God. But you look at the Bible, and you find that God is personal. God is transcendent above his creation. God is ruler over all. So you have descriptions of God that are mutually exclusive because they're contradictory one to another. So their premise is wrong. You have completely different gods and belief systems. Here's the point. The wide gate isn't the right gate. Jesus said, take it or leave it, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me. So you can't say you're a Christian and believe in Jesus unless you believe that. That's what he said. So, yes, this gate gate is wide, but it's not right. It gets even easier as we go, for he says, Wide is the gate and broad is the way. The word broad means roomy. It's easier. It's roomier. A lot more breathing room here. Not as tough. Uh, the broad way is, is to float downstream with the current of the popular culture. And the Paul described it in Ephesians as saying, You once walked, literally meandered, according to the course of this world. You're just going with the flow, man. And the flow is this way, and you're just going with it, and this is easy. The broad way is described in the book of Judges where it says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The broad way is secular humanism. I'm my own boss. I decide what's right. I make up the rules. Interesting, three or four weeks ago, I was in New York City, and I was on a street called Broadway. And it was a wide, broad street, had a lot of people. And there's lots of amusements and lights and attractions. I mean, you could be there for a week and see something new every day. Now, off of Broadway, there were some narrower streets. And on one of the narrower streets was a church. And there was a guy outside of the church who was preaching the gospel, street witnessing. There weren't very many people over listening to that guy. There was a whole lot of people watching and seeing what's on Broadway. It was just a perfect illustration of this. Ah, but the destination, look at it. Broad is the way that leads to where? Destruction. Not all roads lead to God, but this road, this broad way, this unrestrictive, this very permissive way leads to destruction. Now, that's a difficult truth to handle. There is a literal hell. If I didn't tell you that, I'd be a liar. I'd be a liar. In Proverbs 14, Solomon said, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. There's only two destinations, not three, not limbo, not purgatory, not nirvana, just heaven and hell. See, God makes it easy. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Choose life. Two destinations. This says destruction. The word doesn't mean extinction or annihilation. It doesn't mean the cessation of being. It means the loss of well-being. The loss of well-being. So, get rid of those lame ideas that you've heard or maybe even said. I've heard some people say, Well, I'm looking forward to going to hell. That's where all my buddies are going to be. Well, that might be true. I don't know your buddies. But it's not going to be party time. I'll tell you that. It's a wrong idea to think that, hey, hell's where the action is. Oh, there's going to be plenty of action, but not the kind you want. You've all heard of Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting, media mogul extraordinaire, Christian mocker extraordinaire. He said, heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring, boring. And then he spoke of hell and said, well, at least we'll have a chance to make things better because hell's supposed to be a mess. 
Oh, okay, Ted. Ted, there's no tenant improvement plan in hell. It's not like you're there to develop it and sell lots there. It's over. Now, a lot of people, understandably, get offended at the idea of hell. And they say, how could a loving God send me to hell? He won't. You'll send yourself. Again, life or death, blessing or cursing, therefore choose life. I don't want to. Okay, God will honor your choice. Hell is simply God's complement to the freedom of human choice. God is pro-choice when it comes to eternal things. He's pro-life. He wants you to choose life. But if you choose death, he'll let you do it because God will honor the volition and choice of every human being. You could further question and say, well, why would God even create hell to begin with? Well, he didn't make it for you and I. He made it for the devil and his angels. Jesus said, it is everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We were never meant to inhabit hell. God made us for eternity with him, for heaven. But God allows people to go there by their own choice. Now, I want to just sort of frame this for you before we we close. If you're a believer this morning, this earth is the closest you're ever going to get to hell. Isn't that a great thought? Think of all the mess you've been through in your life, all of the tragedy and hassle and trials It could be very, very bad. You could all paint your own picture. This is as bad as it's going to get. If you're an unbeliever, this earth is as close as you're going to get to heaven. Now, that's a very sad thought. You might have it great here. Well, can I just say, then really have a good, good time? Because if you're determined not to go to heaven, please suck every ounce of fun you can out of this life because this is all you're going to get. The end thereof is destruction. How many people are on this road? Well, he says, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go and buy it. Isn't that interesting? The gate to eternal life is narrow, difficult, and only a few people end up there, and many people are on this broad, wide road that leads to destruction. Who's on it? I suppose we could include atheists, theists, deists, humanists, and even nominal Christians, professed Christians. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13 for just a moment. Actually, we'll close there. Let's just turn there and we'll close. Luke chapter 13. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem In verse 22, he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock, At the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say, I don't know you from where you're from. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know you from where you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. 
and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It takes a conscious, purposeful choice to enter the kingdom of heaven. And let me just say this. It takes courage. It takes courage to live life against the flow. There's an old saying, any dead fish can float downstream. Any coward can walk through that wide gate because everybody's on your side. It takes courage to stand up and say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. I hope and I pray that you will um, not end up like the fly. Let me describe what I mean. Once upon a time, a spider built a beautiful web in an old house. He kept it clean and shiny so that flies would patronize it. The minute he got a customer, he'd clean up on him so the other flies would not get suspicious. Then one day, this fairly intelligent fly came buzzing by the clean spider web. Old man spider called out, come on in, sit down. But the fairly intelligent fly said, no, sir, I don't see other flies in your house, and I'm not going in alone. But presently he saw on the floor below a large crowd of flies dancing around a piece of brown paper. He was delighted. He wasn't afraid if lots of flies were doing it. So he came in for a landing. Just before he landed, a bee zoomed by saying, don't land there, stupid. That's flypaper. But the fairly intelligent fly shouted back, don't be silly. Those flies are dancing. There's a big party down there. Everybody's doing it. That many flies can't be wrong. Well... You know what happened. He died on the spot. What does it profit a fly if he escapes the web only to end up in the glue? And so we live and we die with choices that we make. And God says, I'll make it easy for you. Blessing, cursing, life, death. Choose life, he said. Enter into the narrow gate. It's too hard. (laughs) But think about the end. Oh, but this is exhilarating on this ride over here. There's a lot of people and, and, and these rapids above Niagara Falls. Wow. Think a little further down the line. And choose wisely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Here and elsewhere, along with other prophets and spokespeople in the Old and New Testament, clearly lay out two choices, the path of the righteous, the path of the unrighteous, the path of the sinner and the path of the sinner saved by grace who is designated a saint, the path of life, the path of death one that leads to destruction, one that leads to life. The one that leads to life is narrow and difficult. The one that leads to destruction is wide and roomy and easy. And there's a flow of lots of people. I pray that every single person in this room, if they haven't yet, would make the most courageous choice they could, and that's to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. And right now, as we're praying. Our heads are bowed. We're thinking about our lives. 
lot of people in this room already know the Lord Jesus Christ. They've made a commitment. It's real. It's part of their daily thought pattern. It consumes them. They love Jesus with all their hearts. Others aren't quite so sure. Others would like to be there. They're sick of living life without answers, without purpose. They're even sick of religion. And I would applaud that. I'm sick of religion as well. I grew up with it. 1973, I gave my life to Christ. It was real. It was a change. And I'm inviting you, if you've come this morning and you've never authentically made a break with the past and said to the Lord, I turn from my past, I turn to you. I'm inviting you to make that purposeful decision to enter into the gate and experience life. If you want to do that, as we're praying right now, I want you to raise your hand up in the air. Just raise it up. You're saying, here, here's my hand. I'll have the courage. I'll do it. Here's my hand. Pray for me. And we'll pray for you before we close this service. Just raise it up. You're acknowledging your need for Christ. Just slip your hand up in the air. God bless you in the back. Yes, ma'am, in the back, right over there. Right over here to my right, up in the front. Anybody else? If God's speaking to your heart, let him speak to your heart. Anybody else? Raise your hand up. Well, Lord, we thank you for these. It's such a privilege to see how your spirit works to rescue people, to give them the very purpose for which you created them, to know you, to find you. As our Lord Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing a final song. We're going to sing a final song. We're going to sing.